sisters, join the resistance. Come on, let's start by talking tactics. Have a pass and match this. Here's how we practice. The last order conversation. Hey, everybody, welcome to Pop Culture Continuum. This is John Elliott. And this is Patrick Riccardi. And this week we have a special guest, uh, another one of my co-workers, Laura Bagnato. Hey, everybody. And Laura is uh, kind of a bitch. No, I said that about Mia, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you need a new line. <laughs> or I need less bitchy just... co-workers. <laughs> yeah, that could be, too. Uh, no, Laura and I, uh, we're uh, karaoke buddies. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? I think so. Yeah. And, is that uh, code for something? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It's code for uh, people who sing badly and drunkenly, but think they're awesome. Yep. I'm uh, good at that. Yeah. Yeah, we're the best. Uh, <laughs> and this week, we Laura picked the movies, and uh, you want to say what they are, Laura? Sure. So, actually, I think you approached me in the elevator one day saying... <laughs> That's an old story. <laughs> <laughs> now, this sounds like a horror movie. Yes. <laughs> well, you said um, you should do the podcast, and we should talk about House and or Houseu, um, which is um, a horror movie, kind of. What the? Mo- I don't know. I watched it for the like the fourth or fifth time today, and I've decided it's maybe not as much of a horror movie than I thought it was as I thought it was it's more of a more of a fantasy movie I guess more of kind of like a dream a dreamlike childhood fantasy thing happening but anyway you were asking me you know what could we talk about what could we compare it to and I thought about Suspiria which is another movie that was made in Italy in 1977 by Dario Argento and the reason I chose that is just because it's similarly psychedelic though i guess in different ways and um made in the same year very experimental and it's also about um kind of young girls um ending up unwittingly in the house of a witch oh no yeah no shit i didn't actually even think about those comparisons so much but yeah yeah that's true Mm-hmm. Um, which, which one do you guys have a preference for which one you want to talk about first? Well, you, Laura, you, you pick them. So, um, I guess let's start with Argento. Let's start with Suspiria. Okay. So, uh, uh, my one big complaint about this one was, uh, <laughs> let's uh, start, start with the bad stuff. Yeah. Could have used a bit more color. I felt like, <laughs> yes, I thought that I, th- I thought the color was one of the good things that was made it creepy i was joking yeah Pat. i think, I think oh, okay. he was being facetious. <laughs> yeah because i mean one of the i think in terms of like the technical aspects of the movie like one of the main things you notice right away is like how saturated the rgb color is and i guess in my research discovered it was i think the last movie to be printed in technicolor before they closed down the rome plant which the Rome plant, I think, was the last one to close down. The last holdout. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, the, the color was awesome. It was super saturated. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the the movie is actually, I hadn't seen it before. Oh, really? Yeah, weirdly. Had you, Pat? No, I've never never even heard of it. Oh, really? That's weird. It's, it's pretty, I thought it was pretty well known. Uh, is it, so, Laura, I'll ask you, maybe you know this. Is this considered a giallo? So, um... I, you know, I wouldn't 
maybe consider it that. I'm not an expert, but um, he is definitely like his earlier films and kind of his later films are more, I think, typical giallo films, which are kind of proto-slasher movies, I guess. Um, but this one is so much, it pushes so many other boundaries that I think it goes beyond just like a slasher movie. I mean, obviously it's very violent, but the violence is almost like so over the top to me that it doesn't seem as violent anymore. Oh, I totally agree that the uh, the gore was, was uh, as you said, so over the top, it almost was funny. Yeah, and it's really stylized, like... The very first um, death in the movie, I think the girl could have died from any, like, one of five things that happened yeah. to her. Like, <laughs> she is stabbed, and then her head is pushed through glass, and then she falls through the glass, and then she's hung by something that, like, her neck gets caught on on the way down. And then she's, like, laying there and bleeding. and the But also the blood is just, like, it's that kind of, like viscous yeah and it's like pre-1980s like all the blood is just this like insane cadmium red that like no one's blood has ever been right it, it helps you kind of detach from actual death and it becomes like something larger than that i don't know yeah no it totally does i i agree the color of the blood uh which which wasn't just a, an Italian thing. That was everything that wasn't an everybody thing i think they didn't somehow didn't figure out that blood is a different color in real life. <laughs> right. We're still used to black and white where it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the, the giallo was a, an Italian, it means yellow, which tells you nothing, I guess, mm -hmm. about... Well, but, but, I guess, oh, I, if, I, I guess the yellow is because of, like, the Pulp Fiction that was popular in Italy at the time. Like, I, and I, when I think of Pulp Fiction, I think of, like, those really, like, bright yellow covers with, like, red lettering on them. I guess that's why... They were it, called giallo because they had those same kind of like sex and violence themes as pulp novels. Right, right. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't think this was the like you like you said. I think this is more of a uh, more of a kind of a slasher precursor, but uh, but better done than most slasher yeah. movies. I think. Uh, Pat, you what did you uh, enjoy the movie or what, what were your thoughts? I didn't really like it. I, I imagine I'm going to be in the minority because after I watched the movie, I looked it up and it seems like it's highly acclaimed, but I just found it boring. And a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that I, it seems like people liked about, it, I didn't like, like there was a lot of shots, like in, in the very beginning of the movie, it started off really tense and really kind of needlessly tense. And she's going through the door and they're showing the interior of the door, like the, the mechanical workings of it. And that kind of thing happened throughout the movie. And I, yeah. I didn't care. I was just kind of a little, a little bit bored by it. There's a lot to like. There's a lot of neat, like really creepy, uh, uh, psychedelic stuff to like. But overall, I was a little bit bored by it. You think that's just because... Uh, I felt like it was. Uh, it seemed dated. It didn't seem like hmm. something I, I... I just felt... It just felt like a 70s movie. It felt like I was watching that movie i watched as a kid the uh satan's cheerleaders <laughs> well that's what i was going to say do you think you found it boring just because uh when it was made it's kind of tamed by the 80s slasher standards when we grew up and it's and it's also all been done a million times since then oh i don't know the, the slasher stuff i don't usually like anyway so i'm not really the target audience for this kind of movie but i just found the story just it just kept it just didn't go anywhere it, it took forever to get anywhere i guess Mm, the I pacing. 
Well, it's your European movie, you know, they, you got to get on board with their pacing, I guess, or it's not. Oh, well, no, I don't. I mean, I'm used to movies that have slow pacing. I just didn't care where they were going, I guess. Okay. I think, I think that that's, I mean, that's fine. It's all a taste thing. I think that there are ways that I can't describe in which I really care what happens in this movie. Um, but it could just be like, you know, whatever your kind of innate flavor is that you like in a movie. I, I love kind of, I like the story, but I also just like how, I don't know. I think I, I really like movies like the way that they dub the whole movie after it's made that, that there isn't a true soundtrack. Like all the, all the voice dubbing is a little bit off and like all, like some of the acting is just, it's, I mean, it's not great acting sometimes. And like, there's a lot of kind of weird melodrama happening and everything. I guess those are things that I like about like David Lynch movies, for example, that I see in this movie as well. And maybe I'm just inclined to like that kind of thing. Well, I thought it was very well made for, for this type of movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I thought the, uh, the cinematography was good. The uh, obviously the sets and the the colors. Yeah, that's uh, the yeah. best. Really, the best. really stuck out. I mean, it was like it was an essential part of the film. Without all those colors and stuff, it it would have been. It, I think it would have been boring. I didn't find it boring. Um, mm -hmm. I I find the the whole seventies uh, fascination with the occult. Uh, yes. Hilarious. Uh, Me too. So so I I was I was on board for that. You I'm sure you guys are know a lot of those especially early 70s movies like what was the one with william shatner was that satan's cheerleaders no i don't think so I don't I don't know. Know. a lot of a lot of satanic uh, yeah. and and coven witch coven stuff which this i one, love yeah. that i love that place. kind of stuff absolutely and I, and even you know big ones like the omen and um rosemary's baby is a big favorite of mine and i just like i like like old witches and old satanists and like how glamorous they are like they're always depicted as like having these like big fur coats and too much makeup and like big <laughs> hair and stuff like that at the time. I think that they are just like maybe they're reflecting the style of like old rich people of the time because, of course, witches and Satanists are also like ungodly rich. Always. Yeah. Time. Always. Well, like, that's how you always... get rich. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Satan is the key. Everybody remember that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I. I liked it. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't surprising in any way to me. And then, like I said, I, I grew up. Uh, well, I was born in '70, but you know, so I'd seen all the the late '70s and all through the '80s horror movies. So there was nothing, yeah, nothing that I didn't see coming necessarily. Although in the beginning, uh, I didn't I didn't know that it was witches. Like I didn't know what was going on. Although I guess I guess the glowing eyes outside the uh, the window when the first chick got killed <laughs> was was sort of a tip off. Um, yeah, I guess. Lots of things have glowing eyes, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and it could have just to made it, to make it creepy. I didn't. I didn't pick up on witches either until they actually said witches. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you knew something supernatural was going on when the the gargoyle flew down off the. Uh, I don't even know what that was. The White House yeah. in Berlin, and uh, and somehow made the dog kill his owner, the blind owner. Yeah. Um, I guess this is where I put in the fun fact that that was actually Munich Square, filmed in Munich Square, which is where um, the Nazis um, administrated for it, like during World War II. Oh, so that, that's 
So that's creepy all by itself. And the police, the police officers, after he left that like weird beer fest hall thing that he was like <laughs> apparently hanging out in before he died, um, there were a couple of cops hanging out and Is they he looking looked, at him. Yeah, they looked really Gestapo-y. They looked like, very SS. Why are they wearing these long trench coats? I'm not sure if that's like the actual style. Yeah, no, I totally picked up on that. I was like, what? <laughs> And then him in the beer hall watching the dancers. Yeah. So those dancers were so good that they, they went right through his blindness. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> well, if you've ever been in a German beer hall, Pat, you yeah. know the truth of that. Um, yeah, I uh, – no, I I enjoyed it. I'm sorry you didn't, Pat. Uh, it's okay. I, I enjoyed watching it. I just didn't find it to be too yeah. compelling. my favorite movie, yeah. I think it's also, I mean, it's hard for me to detach myself from the fact that I, I've seen that movie probably over 20 times. And uh, so I'm not even sure, like, when I first saw it or what my first impressions of it were. But I obviously liked it enough that it, it stuck around. So Right. Well, and, you know, especially when, with movies you see at the right age, uh, then you're just not going to ever be able to be objective about them anyway. Yeah, it's um, true. We. Pat and I got into, well, we didn't get in an argument. We were just uh, <laughs> an, an email thing with, with a, a friend of ours about airplane and how she, she didn't find it funny at all. Oh. And, uh, you know, I was 10 when that came out, so I thought it was a, the funniest thing ever. And it's probably not <laughs> uh, realistically, but it's always going to be. Yeah, it's pretty funny, but it's definitely, I mean, that whole, like, that whole kind of type, what is it? Um, Zucker and Abrams or yeah, yeah yeah so that whole like style of humor I think is really Played subjective because it's no it's subjective oh. as hell because it's just so corny yeah so much yeah. of it is just like so corny I can see how someone would just be like that's not funny is it male is it like a three stooges thing that uh, women like it don't like it and men do yeah I'm not yeah. into three stooges I I Neither is no. John, so I don't. I don't know if that was a good choice, but no, I'm not, I'm not. But all all my friends growing up were. Yeah. Love the Three Stooges. Yeah, I I don't know. I think Airplane's not quite as gender based. No. Uh, but, Polarizing. Yeah. yeah. But uh, back to Suspiria. So yeah, back to Suspiria. So I don't know. Like I had some other stuff to say about it, but it's it's mostly about I was watching these movies. I was kind of struck. A by like why these movies why did why am I attracted to these aside from I mean I definitely like the kind of the weird and the psychedelic and I love like the kind of over-the-top visual aspect of both of them and then I also like the like the, the symbolism is kind of like even if it's heavy-handed like it's kind of painterly like in like the fact like there's like clocks featured in both of them, the kind of memento mori kind of aspects that you find in like old paintings. And then there's always like, like that weird little blonde boy that looks like. A... <laughs> so fucking creepy. <laughs> but it's, I feel like that he's something like in Twin Peaks, there's that, like there's the grandmother and her grandson. And there are these like pairs of like young and old and like tall and short and everything that seem to go together in a lot of these movies and, and kind of like are representatives of the occult somehow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say um, I don't often, I mean, occasionally I do, but I don't often wish for the uh, death of children, but that, <laughs> that kid, I, the way he stared at the dog, it was yes. like he was staring right into my soul. Yeah. Oh my well, God. 
when uh, recently they played Suspiria at the Castro, I think it was a couple months ago, and um, my boyfriend Rick and I went to see it with one of his old friends that he used to work in um, Tacoma Park, Maryland, at a at a video store with this guy, and they, we went in, and they had been like having fun for a long time before we even met up with them, and we went into the movie theater and sat with them, and every time that kid came on the screen, they just like broke into hysterics, much to the dismay of like every other person in the theater. Like everyone was like turning around, super mad. But then by like the third time, everybody was laughing because that kid is so like overly goofy and serious and he's perfect. Yeah, well, casting directors, if you're looking for creepy kids, uh, Germany is always going to be your best bet, I think. And that kid is probably still the same age, I imagine. <laughs> oh, I think so. Um, yeah, well, I really, we talked about the sets, but I really like like the the big, just dark blue room, and then the red rooms, and you've got the green uh, lights and everything. Mm -hmm. it, I loved yeah. all that. Uh, the one thing, when... when uh, when the lead actress, when she first arrived in Germany at this dance school, which mm -hmm. uh, was ended up being a run by a coven of witches, I guess we should give some plot there. Yeah, uh, spoiler. Um, she her room's not ready. She has to go stay with another oh my uh, God. girl at who lives in yeah. town. Her yeah. wall, yes, her wallpaper was the most hideous thing oh I think I've ever seen in my I life. Love, I love Olga's house. I love Olga. She's like a righteous bitch. And, and I couldn't wait for her so to come amazing. back, and she never came back. No, she, yeah, she just, like, faded out of the movie, basically. I know, which is a bummer, because I loved her. Like, she's so bitchy and mean and sexy and just, like, ridiculous. Well, so and I'm a big fan. But they, also, like, that I, – I liked that room. Was that one of the rooms that was really, like, Escher-looking? Like, no, hers okay. wasn't an Escher room. Um, I, I did notice that with, like, the bird and the fish. Uh, that was somewhere – no, her room was – I don't even know how to describe it. If well, it was I'm sure white with black, like yeah. not writing, but like just design, and just covered the entire the wallpaper, covered the entire wall, and it was weird. Yeah, well, everybody our age, I'm sure, who uh, went over to their <laughs> friend's house and watched uh, Cinemax and and watched some Emmanuel or some old European porn and seen rooms like that before. Uh, <laughs> so I think that was just a European. Uh, so you should have motif. a positive association. <laughs> <laughs> I should, and yet I didn't. But yeah, that character—it was weird because uh, when when the lead actress, God, mm -hmm. I should I should remember these people's names. Uh, like in real life, her real name, or no, just even the character's name, Susie. Susie, right? Uh, when Susie goes over to her place, she is talking on the phone to somebody, and it sounds like she's making some kind of. Uh, sexy date plan or yeah something. or or even maybe something more sinister like i was yeah. thinking like is she planning uh, on killing somebody but nothing ever came of that so it was a little yeah. a little weird and that, that conversation adds to her character because it made her character awesome because she took the the phone away from her from her ear and didn't listen at all and then like, for five <laughs> minutes and i brought it back sure i'm listening that's great <laughs> i love that too yeah totally i love i love olga i also wish she had like a bigger a bigger uh, role. Yeah, I would have liked to see more of that. It seemed like they were setting up a romance between Susie and this kid who, uh, another dancer, I guess, at the who lived at the school. Nothing yeah. came of that. Um, well, he was in cahoots with the witches, though. I think that's why. Okay. He was like, he's under their thumb completely. So he couldn't, like, 
be that nice to her because they right away were like, I need, see. We need to drug her as often as possible. Got it. Yeah, we- I, don't, I don't. Why did they invite her there and then immediately drug her? Because they want to keep her under their their careful watch. If she's like out in the world, then she can find things out and tell people about them. She'd already seen too much right away, and they could tell that she was a bossy American that knew what she wanted. <laughs> Headstrong. Yeah. All the pieces fall into place. Yes. I've yeah. known many witches, and they that's usually how they roll. <laughs> oh, we we uh, work with quite a few. Oh. I'm not, I, there, none of them are listening. Don't worry about it. Um, and if you are listening, we're not talking about you. Oh, exactly. Uh, unless you're Michael Morris, then we yeah. are. Um, yeah, the uh, the gore in it was actually like like we said over the top, but there wasn't too much of it. In the, yeah. it, it, it actually wasn't overly gory. There was a few scenes. Um, the the first murder with the uh, stabbing right in the heart. Yeah. Uh, that was interesting. I think I had actually forgotten about that or not noticed it in the past, but the, or maybe I'd seen a cut where they cut it out, but where they're, they're stabbing her. And then at some point there's the shot that is like a gaping hole in her torso and then her beating heart. And then they like poke that with the knife and it's like kind of thing. Yeah. So that was so. pretty advanced for the time, I think. <laughs> I guess. And then the the slicing the neck, but yeah, overall it wasn't it wasn't super gory. I, I don't I'm not a gore fan, so and I could I'm stand not, it. It was I'm more disturbing than gory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I thought I thought it was good. I thought it uh, it kept its tone throughout. Mm-hmm. I um, thought the music was very good and that, creepy. That's what I was just gonna say. Like in terms of the tone, I think the other major accomplishment of this movie is the soundtrack by Goblin. By Goblin. Yes. Sure, you're a big fan of them. It said on Wikipedia they're prog rock. Your favorite. Yes. <laughs> I've got I've got the Suspiria soundtrack. I'm sure actually that's what I'll throw on at the end of the episode for the uh, mm-hmm. music. Uh, no, the the music was was perfect for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the in the documentary that's included with the Suspiria um, 25th anniversary edition, there's a lot of Goblin talking about what a great job they did making that soundtrack. <laughs> Well, they're patting themselves on the back. Yes. For the whole, oh, they're that's like, good. they're like, I think it'll be modern for another century. <laughs> are they, are they German? No, they're Italian. Italian. As well. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. it makes even more sense then. Yes, totally. Yeah. Um, actually, well, I want to talk some more about Goblin real quick, but, or the music that they did. I think something that it was really awesome about it was like kind of how experimental they were with the insp- instrumentation, but also like the voices that were in all of the music where yeah. it's just like, ah, ah, <laughs> like throughout an entire scene. The I think if you take the music out, you'll notice that there's maybe 200 words of dialogue in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. The music, the music set the scenes uh, more than mm-hmm. anything else. Um, yeah, all the, the screaming and the, um, yeah. and then there was, there's one piece of music that you probably won't remember this, but I swear to God, it sounded like the guitar line to Footloose. Oh and yeah. Then, that burn and earn and earn. Yeah. No, totally. Well, there, I guess, I guess, um, the Argento had just been to Greece or something like that. And so he heard a bazooki, which is like a Greek instrument. And it kind of has that like bendy uh-huh. guitar sound to it. And I guess that's what they use for that. But it totally did sound like Footloose. I agree. And which it, didn't come out until the 80s. Right. So. It sounded like it, Footloose. Maybe they, 
with Maybe psychedelic caterwauling on top of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Kevin Bacon did dance like a witch, so maybe they were <laughs> consciously stealing. If by witch you mean angel, I agree with you. Um, anything else on uh, on Suspiria? Anybody? Um, oh, just um, one thing about the casting. I guess he wanted to make the movie original, and this is going to segue nicely into House. But he wanted to make the film with like ten to fourteen year old girls, and he couldn't find any pro- producers that would work with him because they were all like, "They're going to ban this outright if you put kids in it." <laughs> and so he had to use like people in their late teens. And so what he did was, um, beside, you know, he shoots a lot of it from like the top of the room or something like that. So everybody like looks a little smaller, but I guess he also pl- like moved all the door handles up like a foot. <laughs> so it so makes all the weird. girls like look like they're in this like world of wonder where everything's like taller and bigger than they are. See, I can, I can see that, that that's the kind of attention to detail that, uh, that this movie has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, and this director, I, as far as I know, this is the only Dario Argento movie I've seen. So, okay. But well, I would like to see more because yeah, I thought it was really well done. I feel like, so nothing else he's done is like this in terms of like the stylization of it. This is by far my favorite, but if you want to get close with like the moodiness and everything the this is actually the first in a trilogy, and the second movie of the trilogy, I think, was made just a couple years later. Um, and it's called Inferno. And you can also find that on, you know, Amazon or Netflix a lot of the time. Um, but it's, they're actually, there's three witches. And um, Suspiria is about one witch, the mother of size. And then Inferno is about a second witch, and it takes place in New York. And then there is a Mother of Tears movie that just came out, like... I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. And it's not good. Okay. Well, oh, he's, is he still around? <laughs> he's still around, he's still I think, make, though. Oh. Yeah. The, the mother of size was this witch in Suspiria? Yeah. That. I would have thought the mother of snores. <laughs> oh. they, they made a, no, I mean, they made a point of, uh, of talking about <laughs> how she snored. Yeah. I, 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 that wasn't a comment on the movie. Yeah. As I said, I liked it. <laughs> All right, Pat. So uh, you you were the uh, stick in the mud on this one. So let's uh, let's hear your thoughts on House because uh, oh, I loved House. House was it was it was so great. The, the, the if you didn't know what the movie was about, you were in for a big surprise when you got to the end. How how it was so like happy go lucky in the beginning, and then they get to the sorry to ruin it for whoever's listening, but they get to the the witch's house and things change when you get uh, I forget the character's name, but her head in the in the oh, well. That's Mac. Mac. Mac, right. Yeah, well Mac cuz her big stomach. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was really and really interesting how they did the like the special effects were so over the top ridiculous, but it made it it really worked with this movie. Mm-hmm. And just everything was over the top about it. And I think it was great. Yeah. Well, this this movie is uh off the rails fucking cuckoo banana land. I think this it reminded me of uh if the if the monkeys made a horror movie, yeah. Well, head is kind of like that level of bananas, also. Yes, it's it just is very. It's very like modern and spastic and young and free and like. So I can see how that could have been a little bit of an inspiration. Now that you're mentioning it, it's a lot of like kind of short attention span 
mini segments, stream of consciousness stuff happening. Right. And the direct, well, I think the segue that you were going to talk about was, uh, this guy was a producer who made this and, uh, and he couldn't get anybody who was willing to direct it. Right. So he well, ended up directing it himself. I thought the segue was this actually had 10 to 14 year old girls in it. It, well, yeah, that, that that's one thing. The fact that he was able to actually, um, make it with children. And I think part of it is because, um, of, of like the lightness of the kind of material of the whole thing. Like it's unlike Suspiria in that, I mean, people die in this movie, but it's really goofy and really far away and kind of like there's an, it's all animated and stuff like that. There's not this like real blood aspect that there are to like it, that there is to Italian movies, especially at the time. But, uh, what I was going to say is, um, to John's uh, point, is that I this guy was actually, so he was a filmmaker, um, Obayashi. He was a filmmaker um, who made just like short films in the 60s. And then um, there was, it like culminated in this big like kind of short film festival with a bunch of the people he worked with or or. Um, the bunch of the people that he had like a, a, like kind of an artistic film guild in Japan. And, uh, and at some point a, like one of the heads of their, the big like ad agencies in Tokyo approached all of the filmmakers at the end of this thing and said like, Hey guys, I can give you big budgets and you can make short films for me but they'll just be like advertising instead of, you know, making art films or whatever. And he was the only one that took him up on it. And he ended up being responsible. I think I get the feeling he was pretty much responsible for starting the trend of bringing like big American film stars in to Japan to like advertise things. I don't know if you've ever seen the Charles Bronson Mandem commercials. If you no, Check them out on YouTube. No. I, I mean, I've seen, I've, I've seen that kind of thing, but not Charles Bronson. Yeah, me either. Yeah. Check out Mandom, um, M-A-N-D-O-M. It's, it was like a brand, it was kind of like an old spice kind of brand and they bring Charles Bronson in and they do these just like two minute commercials of him just like getting like picked up in a limo and like going home and, you know, someone is playing piano for him while he rips off his shirt and just like <laughs> douses himself in this aftershave and like rubs it all over his body. And it keeps flashing to like him shirtless riding a horse through the desert. And it's all like mandum. <laughs> but that was an actual, that was actual documentary footage of Bronson's life though. I would imagine. <laughs> It, it very well could have been, but, uh, but yeah, I think that they spoof, I mean, they spoof it in things like lost in translation. I guess that became like a really big deal in advertising after that, like using these like big American stars or French film stars or whatever. And he was really big on doing that, but I'm digressing a lot. I think that, uh, the point is that he, like, I guess cinema in, in Japan in the 70s was getting really, like, same all the time, and they wanted, like, a really big hit like Jaws. And so they somebody approached him being like, hey, like, make a horror movie or write a horror movie for us. And so he collaborated with his, I think, 10-year-old at the time daughter, and, like, she basically explained what she thought that the movie should be. And he got, he and another guy like wrote it together based on her ideas and presented it to Toho, who was like the big studio at the time. And they were just like, 
great, we love it, but no director wants to make it because it's too weird. And so basically what he did was get business cards printed saying that Toho was going to make this film, and he single-handedly, like, um, drummed up all this excitement for it over two years. He, like, got, like, a manga made and, like, a print version and, like, had the soundtrack made and put out a soundtrack record and everything. And then finally, Toho agreed to let him direct it after, like, this huge campaign that he said because there was such a big demand for it and no one else would do it. I get the feeling, like, Japan's film system at the time was much more, like, kind of stodgy and regulated than maybe other. Yeah, I mean, you hear about yeah. that a lot with uh, Japan's film industry, but then there are always there have always been these mavericks who, like, they still work within the system but put out this crazy-ass shit, like... Uh, uh, who am I thinking of? Branded to Kill, uh, oh, yeah. Suzuki, Seijin mm-hmm. Suzuki. And mm-hmm. But the, what's really crazy about Shima. this is the, the, the studio yeah, wanted to do it, totally. but no directors did. That's it. Seems like it would be the opposite. Yeah, it's but I think it's it's like a seniority thing. I think is what it was. Like they had these rules about like they had certain directors on staff, and so they weren't just gonna like usurp their authority oh, by so like asking whoever to direct it if none of the staff directors wanted to do it then i think their hands were tied yes, to a certain extent those senior directors were probably just part of the stodgy system i got you yeah, it's, yeah, it's good yeah. because this ended up just exactly like jaws yeah I, i'm glad they <laughs> they tried to well, make jaws because they they really pulled it off with this one well i one of the things he that i really liked i mean number one the contrast in watching um obayashi versus argento talk about their work they're just like night and day like argento is like he, dark under circles under his eyes he looks really gaunt he's like really just like looks like a ghastly kind of sickly skeleton and is really like calm and introverted and then obayashi is like really extroverted and bubbly and creative and excited and you can kind of see it in in the movie but but um one of the things he said was just like you have to talk to he always like consults with children on important projects because like (laughs) if he were to go to an adult and say I want to make a movie like Jaws, then the adult would be like, how about bears that attack? They would just like suggest <laughs> another animal that attacks. And that's like the biggest, you know, leap that they could make. Whereas a kid is going to think like more about like what kind of scares them on a primal level and like what's weird stuff that, that, you know, they have, their minds haven't been like indoctrinated yet, I guess is the point. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can definitely, you can definitely see a child's influence on this because I don't think we've got really given people a taste of how just bat fuck crazy this movie is. To to think of a scene that's like Jaws is when the the room is filling up with, was it cat puke or cat blood? And the little girl says, we're going to need a bigger boat. That was exactly <laughs> that didn't happen in case anybody's really wondering. But yeah, that was that Mark was I guess did happen. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, that did happen. But yeah, they they are like even the backgrounds are like from uh, Teletubbies and fucking <laughs> My Little Pony and shit. They well, it's and they kind of make fun of that too when they get off the the uh, was it the bus or the train and, and it's this beautiful background. And then they pull back and it's just a uh, a billboard. So yeah. they're making one of their backgrounds at the same time. So it's fun. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There, everything about it is really tongue in cheek. We haven't talked about the plot at all. I don't know if we we've already been talking about this movie for fifteen minutes, and we haven't said really what it's about. But essentially, um, these seven schoolgirls are um, it's ready for summer vacation, and they're getting excited to go on a trip. But the leader, or like the main girl of the story, um, who's named Gorgeous, they all have like names based on what they are like prof is like the professor the smart one and like mac is the chubby one that loves to eat and so she's named mac for her stomach and kung fu is like the kind of like sporty spice (laughs) of the crew that that you know is fearless and fights everything with her big awesome legs and uh basically they are ready to go and gorgeous is instead going to go on a trip with her dad who is a um he has a job i guess as a composer for films and so he was in italy composing for a film and he comes back and they're about to leave for their vacation but then he reveals that he's met another woman who's going to replace her her mother who passed away um 10 years ago and uh she becomes angry and then says, ah, screw this. I'm going on vacation with my friends instead. And we're going to go to my mom's sister's house in the countryside. And so she gets all of her friends together. And then they go out to the countryside to visit her aunt, who she hasn't seen in, uh, I guess, something like 15 years. years. I think, yeah. Yeah. So um, she met her just once. And her the aunt's story is that she... Um, during World War II was about to get married and then her um, betrothed went off to war and never came home and she never um, got over it, basically. And uh, and then uh, hijinks ensue. And then hijinks ensue. And as you said, I don't know that it could really be called a horror movie. I guess, I mean... It's got it's got the horror elements, but it's really more played for laughs. I mean, like mm-hmm. one of the girls is killed by uh, bedding and mattresses. Yes, uh, and- it's still disturbing <laughs> though. So I, didn't, I think it's like a, it's it's just a weird mix because it's not really doesn't didn't really feel like a comedy either. No, no, I know what you mean. I mean, it was disturbing. One one of them is eaten by a piano. Uh, yeah, but a- that's after the piano lid closes and chops all her fingers off. Um, and then her fingers keep playing. But even the re- her reaction to her fingers getting chopped off is her holding up her fingers and being <laughs> like, "Oh, my fingers are gone." Yeah, like, looking her at it, was like really like. But then oh, her, the I next second, her. she loses more fingers, and then she's upset about it. Yeah, At first when, she's when not. The whole hand. I think it was more. You oh, know, the whole, that's right. Yeah, I think it's like the thing where um, Wiley Coyote like chases the Roadrunner off a cliff, and then he's like <laughs> fine until he realizes what happens, <laughs> and then he falls. Yes, very cartoony for sure. Uh, if it is a horror movie, it's the only one I know of where a man is turned into a uh, bunch of bananas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that... I, guess, I guess that that's Mr. Togo, who is like the the cute youngish teacher that like the girls have a crush on. But it turns out that that guy was actually just like Obayashi's friend, who was a Japanese country western singer. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. That, that make, actually makes more sense than than the movie. But <laughs> yeah, one 
one girl goes out to the well uh, to get this watermelon. It's Mac, the the fat one. And even that is still Hollywood fat. Like, she's not fat. Um, no. But she does, like, talk about nothing but food. But food, which yeah. Is- ridiculous also she's just like her every line is like whining about how hungry she is and like how she has got had to go for 10 minutes without eating something yeah so obviously she's got to be the first to die although we don't see her die she goes out to get uh the watermelon out of the well and uh never returns never returns somebody goes to look for her pulls up the watermelon and it's her head which then proceeds to float in the air and bite her on the ass so yes. Mac was still it's, hungry. She's Mac, hungry. Mac's still yeah. hungry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the kind of horror movie it is. <laughs> it is, there are, I mean, I I think it does, it is creepy because it's it taps into like these absurd primal fears in some weird way. I mean, I, and that's that's what you get, I guess, from consulting a kid. Um, yeah. Because it is, it is freaky. Yeah, and I think the juxtaposition makes it kind of disturbing too. Going from this these bright backgrounds to this scary house, this creepy house. Yeah, and the, the piano eating the girl was kind of disturbing, creepy. The, the, yeah. The pillow, the pillow scene really didn't have the much heft to it. That just kind of happened. Yeah, yeah. And, and Although that was scary in another way because the fantasy girl. The girl that had a good imagination kept claiming bad things were happening and no one believed her. And that was one of the scenes that, that no was one the worst. Her for. That's like the scariest thing about it. Anytime that in a movie where people are like, oh, whatever, and just kind of like humoring someone, or if they're like, or like in Suspiria where they were like moved her back into the place against her will and just like kept force feeding her and telling her what to do, that kind of stuff like infuriates me in a movie and and i think that's one of the scariest things is that she keeps like seeing everything happen but everyone's just like whatever fantasy you so crazy yeah yeah i think well i don't i don't of course she's the last one to die too because she has to like you know how in in like a lot of slasher movies it's like everyone dies except for one last woman that's like left to go insane and that's like worse than death right (laughs) And that's that's the case here. Yeah. Um, I didn't quite understand what happened to Gorgeous. Um, did she become her aunt, or was she? Yeah, she that's... she kind of became part of that world, and then she was able to exact revenge on the um, the new potential mom who came to visit at the house. Right, right. And then it ended with the most bizarre thing uh speech about love like as if that was ever a theme of the fucking movie uh, it was a weird it was such like a feel good ending it, yeah. it was it was like it was like an after school special like morality lesson there at the end. I, yeah it's weird how they phrased it because it was like a voiceover saying something like i think it was um you know love never dies and our friends and loved ones never die because they live on in our memories of them. And like, that's why we need to continue talking about famous lovers and, you know, people that have loved because it keeps love alive. Right. When really the message of this film was the old aunt who, who lost her lover turned into a witch who ate young virgins. <laughs> yes. that's, that's what love does. So, I maybe, mean... so maybe she should have maybe let that one one piece of love slide. Yeah. Maybe she didn't need to hold on quite so tightly. 
there is yeah there is no uh there's no consistent tone to the movie um at the beginning when uh when gorgeous is meeting his her, her dad's new girlfriend. Oh my god, I love it, that. It's like a, it's like out of a Douglas Sirk movie with the uh, the fake sky in the background and everything. Yeah. And like the wind is always blowing on her, like eternally. There's like a light breeze, <laughs> like blowing her going. scarf. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, that's that part is so great to me, also because I'm just like looking at it from her perspective, and she's obviously like a daddy's girl, and she's really young and loves him, and that's all she can talk about is her dad coming home, and then like what a bummer it must be because she's like looking forward to this vacation when this like <sighs> usurper <laughs> woman comes in, and you're like at once kind of riveted by her movie star look, good looks and beauty, and the, at the same time you just like feel really bad for gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, well, and then there's... Do you think the dad could have done maybe a little bit better job introducing Yeah, him? he was just like a fumbling moron. He was just like, uh, I have something to tell. Uh, I don't know. Honey, why don't you just come out and tell her yourself? Come on like, out, he babe. He kind of puts it on the girls. Like, you guys so, deal with it. I've got, it. I've got a film score to write. <laughs> basically, he deserved losing his first wife, his fiance, and his daughter. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Just for being an ass. Just for being a dumbass. And yeah. and then there's the scene with I. What's the guy's name? Mr. Togo. Is that Mr. Togo? Yeah. I think it was him where he falls down the stairs in like fast motion and his ass lands in a pail. In a bucket. <laughs> then a bucket. He can't, and he can't meet the girls to go on the train with them out to the countryside because he needs to go to the hospital to get the bucket removed. Bucket removed from his. So it's just. You well, that's the kind of thing witches do, though. No, yeah, but... they that that did happen because okay, so one thing, an extremely important thing that none of us have mentioned yet is the white cat, who Blanche. is oh Blanche, yeah, who is the cat is in actuality like part of the aunt and part of the house. They kind of like function as one big scary entity in the same way that in Suspiria, I feel like the house is kind of has its own life and like kind of the weird inhabitants they're all maybe like part of this singular occult energy and i feel like the 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 white cat is kind of like her minion and so the white cat um actually like delivers the postcard that tells gorgeous yes feel free to come out and bring all of your young virginal happy <laughs> friends and then the cat also runs underneath mr togo's feet causing him to fall into the bucket oh no shit I think that she doesn't want Mr. Togo to come. Well, that's also why he gets turned into a pile of bananas. She doesn't want him there because he might prevent her from eating all those little girls. Uh, well, I mean, that's that's got its own internal logic, I guess. Then, <laughs> uh, yeah, this I I would recommend uh, take some shrooms <laughs> and watch this movie. I don't think you need to. I was going to say maybe. <laughs> Yeah, maybe if you take shrooms, you'll probably see this movie anyway. Um, although maybe a little less uh, frenzied yeah. version. Yeah, the, uh, I, I think it's almost critique proof. Like, did I like it? I fuck, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't I, really know what I think of it. It's uh, <laughs> it's kind of in a class of its own. It's true. I liked it. Good. Yeah, good. Um, anything else you guys want to say about House? I don't know. Everybody just just go watch these things. Uh, yeah. 
I think they're they're worth your your hour and a half. And you know, I think if anything, I, I mean, I've definitely watched my share of um, violent movies and kind of like stylized horror and bad horror and B movies over the years. But even if you're not into a scary movie, but maybe you're open to experimental film a little bit, I think that these are important and worth watching. Also, because there's like, they just seem more, I don't know, I again, I was talking to Rick about, they just like seem kind of more feminine in a good way. Like they seem less kind of, oh, like this girl did something bad, so now we're going to tear her shirt off and like stab her repeatedly kind right. of thing. There, there isn't yeah. that same aspect of like that really like, the kind Friday of like the thirteenth male voyeury kind of thing. I mean, there's that. There's a little bit of the voyeuristic thing in Suspiria, just in the way, just in the camera angles. Right. But I feel like the overall that's to add to the paranoia. I think. Yeah. 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 Totally. But I. But it, there isn't this like overall kind of like serial killery calculating. Um, Let's kill the chicks for say? fucking. Yeah, exactly. There isn't yeah. that kind of thing. It's got, I mean, I think part of it is like both of them, like like Suspiria, Argento co-wrote it with his um, longtime partner, um, Daria Nicoletti, I think her name is. And so there was like a big female influence there. And then, of course, the daughter helped Obayashi. But um, I don't know. I, I don't mean to bring it around to feminism at the end, but oh, more, you more ladies should be helping the guys out with this stuff because I think it makes for like better, more well run bleh, more well rounded cinema. No, I agree. I agree with that completely. Um Yeah, yeah. Everybody go watch these. It's better than anything uh Michael Bay's ever done. I mean I don't mean to pick <laughs> low hanging fruit necessarily, but it was the first thing that popped to mind. But um yeah well Michael Bay's working on the house remake. Oh, that would be awesome. Mm. <laughs> uh all right well laura you want to hang out we're gonna uh just talk nonsense for a few minutes and then we're then we'll get out of here um okay sounds good so uh this week uh this are this is one of our segments uh so this week in hannah montana i actually didn't check the news to see what uh hannah montana has been up to this week uh i i'm sure it's something probably either racist or just generally stupid so well uh, I'll, I'll give more details I'll, I'll do more research for the next episode, but that's been this week mm. in Hannah, Montana. Um, I was thinking of a segment, Pat, that I could easily do uh, called My Petty Annoyances, where I, I get uh, super annoyed at things that absolutely don't matter. Mm. Um, what is your latest petty annoyance? Well, so there's this fucking commercial, and it, it's, uh, I don't know what it, what it is, the United Brotherhood of Real Tours. That's what he, he keeps saying, real tour. And... <laughs> You pronounce it realtor. Am I am I fucking crazy? Maybe real- he's someone who sells real tours of places. Like he's a real tourist. No, no, no. That it's not. See, that's your that's your Philadelphia accent coming out. We don't call them tours here. We call them tours. Uh, so it makes no <laughs> sense. No, he says real tours, and we don't say <laughs> doctors or professors. So it's pissing me off. So that's been this segment. I'm sure I could think of others, but. Uh, what do you got going on, Pat? I, I'm just trying to... I don't even think that's petty. I think that's an important annoyance that you should write a letter to somebody. Go on Twitter. Oh, yeah. That is that is a good way to get your voice heard. Uh, <laughs> you, you got anything? 
No, I'm I'm looking forward to the Emmys to see who won, see who lost. But I don't got anything. Well, fuck you, dude. You got I'm anything? Still, uh, disturbed from House and Suspiria. You got anything, Laura? Anything you want to promote to the uh, 20 people listening to this? Not at all. <laughs> all right. Well, that was the shortest yeah. uh, post-episode discussion ever. <laughs> but uh, thanks for coming on. It was uh, Yeah, it was thanks fun. a lot. You were very informative. Oh, good. Thanks. Yeah. I enjoyed myself, and I would love to do it again. Oh, you will. Um, <laughs> that sounded worse than the elevator story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nothing's worse than the elevator story, dude. Trust me. Um, yeah. It didn't so, have a feminine edge to it. Sorry, John. It wasn't well-rounded. I got something well-rounded for you, Pat. Okay. Uh, so write us at popculturecontinuing at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Highly review us on iTunes. Do all that. And we don't really give a fuck. Do what you want. Uh, that's what's great about America. Oh, I know, I know one thing I had, Pat, uh, I, cause I had a couple people, uh, say to me variations on the same theme, which was, uh, maybe you guys should rehearse, uh, before you go on the air or maybe do some more research. But, uh, no, I don't, I don't think that's, that's what we're going for with this show. I mean, I, I feel like we can get better at, uh, at improvising and talking off the cuff and stuff. But if we start practicing shit we're going to say then it's just going to come out stilted because then you're going to be like radio like like 70s djs kind of like really be a conversation too it won't be spontaneous yeah Yeah, no i we we're not actors so we can't do scripted stuff and make it sound real we can barely sound real when we're being real yeah Um, so that's not gonna that's not gonna happen um the research thing i guess we could do more but i i kind of like uh i like the the punkish element of just talking out of our asses and seeing if anybody will call us. Yeah. It. And we get a lot of stuff, right? We get yeah. some stuff, right? Yeah. What were you going to say, Laura? I was just going to say it's the internet age. Everyone's an expert. So go well, with it. Exactly. I mean, any, look it up on Google. Uh, shit. Go start your own podcast. If you think you're so great. I actually think that's a good idea. I think people should be doing podcasts. This is like the, uh, the fanzine of the 21st century. Hmm. And there's a lot of neat ones out there. I just saw that there, there's a cartoon from the early 2000s called Justice League, and somebody put up a, a podcast that goes through each episode and gives a review of it. See? <laughs> yeah. So there's a podcast for everything. There is, and it's. I think it's awesome. It's very democratic, and there's uh, there's no FCC or anything telling you what you can say. So I think it's a, an awesome medium, and I like looking for new podcasts by unknown people as well as known people. Those are always good. The, uh, the comedy podcasts I listen to and the philosophy ones and stuff, but I think it's cool that, that anybody can do this. And I think more people should. Uh, Agreed. All right. Uh, then, then I guess we'll end it there. So, uh, thanks again, Laura. No problem. And, uh, until next time, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.